Christ is risen. Christ is risen Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the 20th chapter of St. John with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. The story of Mario Puzo's seminal crime drama, The Godfather, chronicles the tragedy of a man named Michael Corleone as he becomes ensnared in his family's nefarious underworld organization. For those of you who have seen the movie or read the book, however, you understand that Michael's transformation from a mild-mannered war veteran to a mafia don, they, they don't come across as some great impulse toward criminality, nor the desire necessarily to do evil. Rather, what put Michael in the thick of his family's business was the desire to defend the life of his father, Don Vito Corleone, when he is shot in an act of gang warfare. As Michael hears and processes the attempt on his father's life, something kind of changes in him. He consults with his brother Sonny about how he might work with the mafia in order to stop the rival family from taking further action against them. As they meet together, the family lawyer and counselor, Tom Hagen, utters the famous line, It's all just business, Mike. That's what your father always said. You can't take it personal. But of course, it was personal. And that's what galvanized Michael in the story into taking revenge on his father's assassins and crossing that all-too-thin line from upstanding citizen to notorious criminal. Today, dear brothers and sisters, we reflect once again on the story of St. Thomas and his encounter with the risen Jesus. As we read this story each year on the second Sunday of Easter, I'm always struck by just how thin that line is. That thin, that thin line which separates belief from unbelief. We hear that nickname which has become so tragically affixed to Jesus' disciple. Doubting Thomas. And we assume that we know all that there is to know about him. But the fact of the matter is that before he was ever called Doubting Thomas... Thomas, called Didymus, that is the twin, was among the most stalwart of Jesus' followers. Indeed, it was Thomas, who when the other eleven disciples feared to return to Judea with Jesus, boldly asserted, let us go, that we may die with him. Thomas was ready to lay down his very life for his Lord. In fact, I would wager that going into the events of Palm Sunday, he may have been prepared to do just that. As he saw Jesus brazenly ride into the holy city of Jerusalem mounted on a donkey, as he witnessed him go into the temple to drive out all of the money changers, and then as he began preaching boldly the destruction of Jerusalem. But then... As the week progressed, Thomas began to see some things from his Lord, which began to turn his faith on its head. 
The Lord who he was ready to give his very life for began to forecast not Thomas's death, but his own. The mighty king who he thought he was following began to speak about being last of all and servant of all and giving himself over into the hands of sinful men. Something wasn't adding up. And then, of course, came Good Friday. And Thomas's Messiah was betrayed, beaten, and nailed to a tree. And Thomas, well, far from marching boldly up to Golgotha in order to die with his Lord, Thomas fled, and he hid for safety along with nine of Jesus' other disciples. And friends, I posit that it was this. Seeing his Lord killed while his own courage failed him, which shattered the faith of Thomas. Because that is where it got personal. Giving up everything in order to follow Jesus, in order to serve a higher power, well, that was just business. That's what Thomas thought he signed up for. That's where he was content to play his part. But when God gave up everything before his eyes, when God played his part for him, when God laid down his life and died the death which he had so steeled himself for, that's not what Thomas signed up for. Killing the Lord he loved made this whole messianic business intensely personal for St. Thomas. And we just read what followed. There's an old saying that uh, many of you are likely familiar with. Seeing is believing, that's right. But for Thomas, it looked like the opposite was true. Like Michael Corleone, seeing the person he most loved and admired, betrayed and murdered, changed something in Thomas. Seeing what happened on the cross, Thomas crossed that all-too-thin line and he stopped believing Or rather, as we read in the scriptures, he outright refused to believe. Sometimes, friends, we, like Thomas, experience those things which shake us to the core and deeply challenge our Christian faith. A cancer diagnosis, a messy divorce, the death of a child. When these things happen to us, our faith becomes personal. And it can be difficult to deal with. Because suddenly, we're not thinking of our Christian religion in terms of some far-off, pie-in-the-sky promise. No, there are some real consequences to this stuff, and we have real questions. We want to know how our faith in Jesus applies to the here and now. Why is God allowing this to happen? Where was God when my loved one needed healing? Is God angry with me for something that I have done? These are earth-shattering questions, folks. And when the answers are not easy or readily apparent, where do we find ourselves? Well, let's go back to Thomas. Where was Thomas in his crisis of faith? When, when all of this was going on and he needed help, where was he? Verse 24 in our gospel reading says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them, that is, the other disciples, when Jesus came. And this, I pose to you, is the root of Thomas's problem. 
We don't know where he was when the disciples saw the risen Lord. He's unaccounted for. He's out and wandering. We don't know where he was, but we know where he was not. When he needed encouragement and support and direction, he was not seeking consolation in the brethren of his fellow disciples. And as a result, what happened? He missed Jesus' first appearing. He spiraled deeper into his denial of the resurrection. Take note of what happened here. Thomas skipped church. And he skipped church on a day when it was crucial that he be there. How do we know this? Well, hear what Thomas says when the other disciples confront him. He says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into those marks and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Did you catch that? Thomas gives kind of an interesting statement here. By his own admission, he knew exactly what he needed. He needed to see Jesus. But instead of putting himself with others who needed to see Jesus, he ducked out. He was out there in the world looking for answers in places where Jesus was not. Friends, how many people do you know right now who are in the middle of a crisis seeking answers to their big questions in places where those answers are not going to be found? Their faith gets personal. And they're devastated. But instead of seeking Jesus, they turn to other things. Money, or drinking, or pornography, or anything and everything that would give them some kind of momentary reprieve from their plight while offering no real, lasting solutions. You've probably all been there at one time or another. I I know I certainly have. Angry, bitter, heartbroken, and refusing to be where help is to be found. I think that the great tragedy of that fictional story we heard about of of Michael Corleone is that instead of seeking help or forgiveness, Michael decides that violence is the answer to his problem. He decides that he can handle everything all by himself, thank you very much. And then no one is there to pull him out of his crisis because he has alienated everyone that he loves. This was almost Thomas. This is how he would have wound up were it not for the story that we read for today until one week later after Jesus had appeared to the ten. There, they had gathered together again in that same upper room, this time having pulled Thomas with them. And what happens? Jesus appears among them again. He comes into all of their doubts and insecurities and crises. And what does he do? The very first thing is that he opens his mouth and he speaks, Peace be with you. Jesus comes into the midst of their chaos and he imparts his peace, which passes all understanding. But no sooner does Jesus arrive among the eleven that he sees that one of his disciples most certainly is not at peace. Jesus sees Thomas. He sees all of his hurt and all of his grief and all of his doubt. And Jesus does not rebuke him. 
Jesus does not chastise Thomas for his lack of faith. Jesus does not turn Thomas away. Quite the contrary. Jesus pulls Thomas back to himself. Jesus gives Thomas what he needed to believe. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And in response to that unfathomable gift of grace, Thomas falls to his knees, all of his doubts in a moment dispelled, and he does something remarkable. In the presence of Jesus and of the other ten, he gives the very first Christian confession. He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas, whose belief was shattered when he saw his Lord die, now believed again when he saw his risen Lord. Now, you must all be thinking, well, sure, that's, that's great for Thomas. But where does that leave us? Us who do not have that same luxury of seeing Jesus face to face. Well, in answer to this question, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Be honest for a second. Do any of you not really like that answer? I, I personally wrestle with this quite a bit because, like all of us, we're visual creatures, right? We want to see. We want to receive Jesus bodily and then believe. But friends, don't mistake Jesus' words here in John 20. He is not saying, oh, the rest of you, just take my word for it. He's saying, here, take my word given to you and believe in it. St. John concludes his remarks in this story by saying, these are written, these are given to you, these are passed on through countless ages so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Like Thomas, Jesus continues to give us, his church, what we need to believe. Yes, for a time, we do not see him face to face as his apostles did. But this does not diminish his real presence here among his church. He continually comes to us. He comes to us in our chaos, in our doubts, in our crises, and he answers those things with his holy word. He answers those things with the words of his absolution, the forgiveness of sins. He answers those things with his baptism of rebirth and renewal. He answers those things with his blessed supper and with the consolation of the brethren gathered here in this most holy place. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do not balk at these gifts, nor deny yourself the opportunity to receive them. For these are the gifts that your God gives to soothe your doubt and to impart saving faith to you. Today, we're about to have the opportunity and the privilege to witness our four. Do what Thomas did and make a confession, a public declaration of their Christian faith. They are about to stand up before you all and declare that, yes, Jesus is Lord and God indeed. And as they do so, they commend themselves to his care. They commit themselves to the faithful reception of his gifts. Noah, 
Adeline, Andrew, and Nick. Note well the lesson to be learned from St. Thomas this morning. Don't let today just be some mere graduation from you that you're going to move on and put away in a nice little box and then never really think about again. Don't let it mark the end of your time in fellowship and in God's word. As you take ownership of this Christian faith that your parents and your sponsors and your teachers and your friends have worked so hard to impart to you, nourish that faith and cherish it. Don't skip church. Because here in his church, this is where Jesus gives you guys those gifts which create in us a living, breathing faith. By belief in Christ, we all have come to a personal knowledge of him as our Lord and God. And what's more, we see his goodness and love and peace ever at work in our lives. Seeing is not believing, dear brothers and sisters. For how many people do you know who have seen those same signs we have and yet have not believed? Rather, believing is seeing. Receiving those gifts of Christ for our belief allow us to see that which the world does not see, that Christ Jesus lives, and because he lives, we shall live also. This is why St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that we walk by what? Faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. In faith, we have that peace which passes all understanding. In faith, we are made partakers of the resurrection. In faith, that Christ is Lord and God indeed, we are, all of us, secured in this fellowship until that great and glorious day when belief gives way to sight. On that day, we shall see him as his apostles saw him. We shall see him in the resurrection of the flesh, face to face. In his most mighty name, amen. May the peace of Christ which passes all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting, amen.